Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. This is episode 13. Episode 13. Apart from our uh, bedtime stories. Yes. They're sort of not really counted as episodes. So yeah. uh, Unlucky for some. Hopefully this won't be unlucky and you won't have to spend <laughs> hours editing it. <laughs> no, we're perfect. We yep. record it absolutely perfectly first take. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, have we had any uh, any messages from anyone this week we've had some new followers on our social media which is lovely so thank you to the seeing red podcast for um sharing us and hello to all the new listeners i saw we had a bit of an influx of new downloads and listens in the week so that's exciting that so hello exciting. to anybody who's listening for the first time we've got another listener it's exciting oh yeah <laughs> absolutely hello new listener Hello, listen, and welcome back to everybody else who's joining us 13 weeks in. Indeed, yeah, and uh, hi to Lisa. Thank you for your lovely comment. Hi, Lisa. Oh, I feel the pressure a little bit now to be funny, so... <laughs> Any true crime news this week? Not a lot. Um, I saw about the PCSO in Kent who they found in the woods and they're treating it as murder, but I haven't really had a chance to kind of look into it any further than that, so I just thought that that was a thing. But I'm not sure what else. Nothing, no big news in the courts or anything. I don't uh, think so. I feel like we'll say no and then we'll remember afterwards that something <laughs> really big has happened that we haven't talked about. No, yeah. I think the problem is I listen to so many things and read so many things and watch so many things in the week. I forget what's actually news and what stuff that happened like years ago, but I've only just found <laughs> out about. So this week, I finally got around to listening to a podcast about Son of Sam. And I don't really know how I've managed to be a true crime fan for this long without listening to a podcast about, or listening to really know anything about him. Okay. Um, David Berkowitz and I didn't really know anything about him at all um so that was really interesting about Son of Sam. Talking of podcasts there was a program that I think we both listened to on the that's BBC Radio 4 last night and they were talking about the whole world of podcasting yeah um, and the Apple. Definitely Apple um oh. starting to put some of their things behind a paywall or you have to subscribe to them but um don't panic listeners we have no intention of doing that you won't have to pay to access this excellent content <laughs> not yet anyway no, no not yet no. <laughs> we might need to get some better microphones at some point but um yeah. fine for now yeah and some marketing <laughs> yeah and some merch some merch yeah yeah some mugs with, i'd like some mugs with our it. new logo on it with that yeah our new logo on it a vaguely new logo yeah uh, updated yes, logo slightly updated logo yes. yeah <laughs> see if anybody can spot what the difference is yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you saw them side by side they're quite different but yeah you probably wouldn't notice if you just saw it then <laughs> anyway this week phoebe i was going to tell you about the lance angels of death oh okay this is a true crime story set in austria austria nice. another Another country to tick off our list of European mm. countries. So it, it all happened in the Lance, it's spelled L-A-I-N-Z, and I've consulted Google Translate, and it says Lance. Excellent. Lance. Well done for doing that before, rather than yeah. like a scramble <laughs> halfway through, like, how do we pronounce this? <laughs> Lance, Lance, Lance General Hospital. Yeah. 
which was an old building built in 1839. It's the fourth largest hospital in Vienna. Uh, it has around about 2,000 staff working oh. in it. Uh, and it is split into different pavilions, which I think is separate buildings. I tried to find pictures or a layout of the hospital, but I haven't yet found one. But okay. um, Pavilion 5 is what we would probably call the geriatric ward. Quite a lot of the patients on that ward were terminally ill. So death in Pavilion 5 wasn't particularly unusual. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1983, one particularly ill patient, a 77-year-old woman, begged the nursing assistant who was on duty that night to help her put her out of her misery. Okay. And the nursing assistant did so by giving the woman a fatal overdose of morphine. Okay. Interesting. I mean, that's not uncommon, is it, for people to do that? I remember when I was in hospital and I had that kidney infection, and that woman in the bed next to me, um, I think it was the night before she died because I was on, um, they put me on a renal ward because I don't really know why, but I had a kidney infection. They put me on a renal ward. Um, so it was full of very old ladies who all had essentially kidney failure. I and remember the woman, when you were in there. Yeah. yeah. And that woman in the bed next to me, I think it was the night before she died. She spent all night like begging to die. And she was really? like, I just want to die. Help me die. Let me die. Like all night. Wow. <laughs> so I don't think it's uncommon for... Um, people to do that no she did die the next morning i got up i went to the loo and said morning and she kind of like smiled at me i went to the loo i came back and she was dead mm-hmm. i seem to remember didn't she lay there all day all day and then they moved her during visiting hours she she was in the um, middle bed of three yeah. wasn't she you were on the end yeah she was in the middle one so you had to have the curtains around her bed all day yeah and it was just a curtain between yeah. you and and i was like there's a dead person right there <laughs> Like what? Three foot away from me. I remember, yeah, yeah. I think wasn't it? It was during visiting time. Yes, we were there. And And they, she died at like what half eight, nine o'clock in the morning, and they decided to move her in those like the evening visiting hours. Because they went around closing everybody else's else's curtains. (laughs) (laughs) They wheel the the big box in. Anyway, Mm. anyway, in this case, the uh, the nursing assistant in question was a twenty three year old Valtrold Wagner. Valtraud, W-A-L-T-R-A-U-D, mm-hmm. and Wagner, as in the composer. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> Richard, yeah. <laughs> no relation, I don't no. think. I suspect v- Wagner is quite a common name in uh, yeah, it sounds like, yeah. Austria. <laughs> Valtraud Wagner. Valtraud discovered that helping that woman to die, to kill her, made her feel very empowered. And she actually enjoyed having the power of life and death over someone and she liked that feeling so much that she went on to do it again oh i mean it's the job to be in if you want to do that sort of thing i guess (laughs) get away with it Uh, well yeah on especially on a geriatric ward yeah so valtrude ended up sharing her experience and expressing how much can't say joy but satisfaction such a mm-hmm. a buzz i suppose that she got from doing this with a colleague and then another and then finally a fourth so she'd recruited three accomplices of what would become as the lance angels of death as well as Waltrud wagner who was 23 at the time there was maria gruber 
who was born in 1964. So this is in 1983. So she was only like 19 yeah. or something at the time. She was a nursing school dropout and an unmarried mother. <gasps> I know. There was Irene Lydolf, who was born in 1962. So she was only in her early 20s as well. She was married, but with no children. And Stefania Meyer. She was a bit older. She was in her 40s, a divorced mother and grandmother. And she'd only recently arrived in Austria from what was then known as Yugoslavia. Wagner, the leader of the Angels, taught the others the technique and the subtleties of delivering an overdose of morphine. However, after a while, this this method became too boring for them. It was not exciting (laughs) enough for the Angels. It's kind of what happens. (laughs) Yeah. So they developed their own technique of drowning the patients in their beds, which they called the water cure. Yep. Yep. They would hold the patient's head back. And these are patients that are pretty frail. They're probably quite ill. Mm. Yeah. They would hold their heads back, hold their noses Mm -hmm. shut, force their tongues down, and then water was then poured into their mouths until eventually they just succumbed and the water filled their lungs. That's brutal. It was brutal. It was slow. (laughs) It was agonising. And, and of course, the frail old patients didn't really. With, I, I, I think they did it in at least pairs, if not all four. I don't know if it was all four of them at once, yeah. but um, yeah, it was it was brutal, and Oof. they didn't have any hope of fighting against relatively fit young women. Did no one notice? Well, the the thing was that it wasn't uncommon for old people to have fluid in their lungs. Oh yeah, that's true. But, like, weren't they making, like, a noise or anything? Well, like that? I, mean, also, I don't know. Maybe they're in private rooms. Or, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or they used to wheel them off somewhere or whatever to do it. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it, it was in actual fact, in that circumstance, with these elderly people that quite often had pneumonia or whatever, which would have been fluid on the lungs, yeah. pretty much undetectable. And, and, indeed, it wasn't detected for six years and even <laughs> yeah, and even then, the way they were caught out wasn't because of any sort of pathological reason. It wasn't a post mortem on anybody that uh, actually discovered this. Because I thought there isn't there a difference between the fluid that you're going to get on your lungs, surely there must and be. water that's come out of a tap. Isn't the fluid like, on your lungs more like like slimy mucusy stuff? It's not going to be yeah, it's not going to be tap water. No, but maybe. I guess probably they didn't have postmortems because if they were old and they were dying mm. anyway, and then they thought, well, okay, they had pneumonia yeah. or they've been lying around for a long time. Yeah, not uncommon to get fluid on your lungs. So the you know the, these uh, the angels, the lance angels, they started to use these methods as like punishments against oh, wow, patients. Okay. I think they were just looking for an excuse to do it. Really, yeah, they'd really got the the bug the bug for the buzz if you like of doing this were they getting any sort of money out of it no, or I don't think were so. they no. so they weren't like no. altering wills and stuff they were no. literally just no. doing it because they, they enjoyed killing them yep wow <laughs> yep yep so they would um dish this out as punishment to patients that annoyed them and annoyances would include soiling the bed mm-hmm. refusing medication 
buzzing the nurse's station at inconvenient times. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Even snoring. I mean, that is that is inconvenient. <laughs> so if they decided that... Um, if they decided that a particular patient had annoyed them, yeah. they would say, that one has got a, a ticket for God. Jeez. And then next time they were on shift, which I think seemed to be quite a lot at night. That's um, convenient. Yeah, they would, uh, they would carry out their, their killing either by the water cure or by injecting morphine or other strong painkillers or other things crazy. yeah did they not notice that people were dying like really quickly well they did they did the oh. high the high number of deaths in pavilion five did not go unnoticed but nothing but, was done about it that was the, oh. that was the weird thing <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like a lot of people dying there yeah yeah in fact um when it did become discovered and we'll come on to how they were found out in a moment but uh when it did the the doctor that sort of ran that department was actually dismissed for not make, taking action oh, okay. uh, against the number of deaths or carrying out inquiries as to why the number of deaths was so high. And Pavilion 5 became known as the death, the death ward, the death pavilion, yeah. <laughs> for obvious <Fair>. reasons. <laughs> but yes, it just seemed to go unchallenged, just for the sheer... That's crazy. Sheer buzz, the sheer kick out of holding that power of life or death over someone. And I think we've heard that before, haven't we, with murderers, that they actually quite like that. That's what serial, some of the reasons that serial killers yes. do carry out lots of killings, because they do the first one and they actually... Really like it. Really like it, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've just done a quick... Google search and it's come up with something on Wikipedia called thrill killing. Okay. A premeditated or random murder that is motivated by the sheer excitement of the act. So I'm sure there must be some examples of that. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of power control killer and people who kill for that sort of reason, like Gary Ridgway, the is it the Green River Green killer? Bay. The Green River, the Green, not Green, yeah, the Green River, River Killer. killer. Um, John Wayne Gacy, obviously the clown yeah. man in Chicago, and uh, Dennis Rader, BTK. And I guess their primary motivation is to control them and dominate them. I think often for some sort of like sexual arousal. Yeah. But then the act of murder is usually that most satisfying bit and that final expression of their power and control over the victims is what they get that massive thrill from, isn't it? Yeah. And and that is presumably what happened to these yeah. these nurses. They they really enjoyed it. I mean, I suppose it was brave of her to share her experience. She must have really trusted her friends. <laughs> I was thinking that when you said it. Like, if I killed somebody at work, I don't think I'd go and just tell all my colleagues about it. Like, oh, I've just killed this person. It was great because I'm pretty sure somebody would um, tell on me. I mean, get, that's that's the bonus now of working by myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to share this information with my colleagues when I kill people. <laughs> and I guess it's a different environment working in a yeah. hospital with old, almost, well, very ill people. Surely anyway. do they have to nurses have to sign the Hippocratic Oath that they're going to just look after people? I think these are nursing assistants. Do nursing oh, okay. assistants sign the Hippocratic Oath? Or? I have no idea. Declare the Hippocratic Oath. 
So in the UK, nurses take the Nightingale Pledge, which is a modified version of the Hippocratic Oath. Okay. Whereby nurses pledge to uphold certain ethics and principles within the nursing profession. Trivy rule. There's probably some exceptions. <laughs> yeah. Or breakers of that rule. <laughs> So the high number of deaths in Pavilion 5 did not go unnoticed, but nothing was done about it. And as I say, the, uh, the, the sort of the manager of the of those wards was actually suspended later on after they discovered that, yeah, perhaps he should have done a bit more to discover. Done a better job got, of realising yeah. that his staff were <laughs> killing people. <laughs> yeah. Now, the way it was found out was um, in February 1989, the angels were in a bar after a shift and they were discussing their latest their latest endeavour. Idiots. They had just killed a woman called Julia Draport and she had been subjected to the water cure treatment mm-hmm. for refusing medication and, and apparently calling Wagner a common slut. Now, that would have been an annoyance, I should think. That, that's annoying. <laughs> what a common slut, yeah. <laughs> So they were talking about this and, yeah, probably giggling and laughing about it. And it just so happened that sitting not too far away from them in that bar was a doctor <gasps> who had obviously heard about the, you know, who was aware of the number of uh, increased deaths in, in that part of the hospital. Uh, and he was immediately alarmed. Yeah. So he reported what he'd heard to the police. The police started a six-week investigation, and on the 7th of April 1989, all four of the angels were arrested. Now, between them, they confessed to 49 specific murders, with the three of them all pointing their finger at Waltrud Wagner as their mentor (laughs) and leader. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Now, Wagner herself actually took credit for credit yeah <laughs> took credit for 39 of the deaths but far from the total 49 that they owned up to between mm. them it was thought that the body count over the six-year period was more likely to be somewhere between two and three hundred. Oh my god yeah. that's a lot of people yeah it is that's like one a week yeah i suppose it is yeah yeah getting on for one a week yeah, yeah. Which has been, I don't know, on a geriatric ward, would you have one person a week dying? But I anyway? guess they've got normal people dying alongside them yeah. as well. Yeah. Like extra people dying. Maybe that's how they managed to kind of get away with it. And they wouldn't be the first people in the medical profession to get away with lots of killings. No. A very famous case, of course, of... Um, yeah. Harold Shipman. Harold Shipman. And a case that I'm covering next week is medically related oh, okay. as well. All right. That's a coincidence. Mm. It really is a it coincidence. Really is a coincidence, yeah. Because <laughs> we don't tell each other what we we're going to talk about. We don't, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, they reckon, uh, in total, they reckon it was like two or 300 people between them that they probably dispatched. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people, yeah. As she waited in custody for her trial, Wagner scaled back her claim to being responsible for just 10 of the deaths which she now says were done out of compassion towards the elderly to help them out of their misery. The trial started in March 1991 
And then ultimately, Voldrude Wagner was convicted of 15 murders and 17 attempted murders. She was sentenced to life imprisonment. That doesn't feel like enough. Enough. Murders for her to be convicted of. <laughs> Again, I suppose it's like with the Harold Shipman case where we yeah. know there were hundreds, two or three hundred people, but they only actually convicted him of 15, was it? Um, yeah. Yeah, because that's all they needed to convict him. They probably only needed to convict him of one, really. um, Irene Lydolf was convicted of five murders and two attempted murders. Oh, okay. She also received life imprisonment. Does that mean that they tried to kill some people and it didn't work? Well, possibly, yeah. Stefania Meyer, she was given 15 years for manslaughter. Hey, Kat. (laughs) Hey, Kat. By co-broadcasters here. And Maria Gruber received 15 years for two attempted murders. Okay. So there we go, 1991, off they go to prison. So now we fast forward 17 years to 2008. Mm-hmm. Wagner is now 49 and Lidolf is 46. Maya and Gruber have served their time and have been released. Yeah. Yeah. And they are actually given new identities to protect them from any sort of retaliation from uh, from families or anybody that, uh, yeah. I, I, by this stage, the, the country has learnt the story. The trial was a yeah. big one. And there are a lot of angry people out there. So they were given new identities and presumably just went back into the general population. Yeah. Did they start yeah. nursing again? I don't know. They've they've disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> they could be nursing us right now. They could be. Yep. Uh, but then, in a surprising move in two thousand and eight, the Justice Ministry of Austria mm-hmm. approved the release of Wagner and Lidolf <gasps> what? on the grounds of good behaviour. Okay. Well, I guess yeah. they didn't really have access to um, morphine. In prison, well, so no. people. <laughs> and they probably weren't water giving the water treatment to the water cure to any no, of their fellow. There prisoners. was probably some sort of like surveillance or something that yeah. would watch them do that. Yeah. So they were actually released, um, and now it's not clear whether or not they have been given new identities. Okay. I've, I've tried to do a bit of a search for for them to find out where are they now, type of thing, but it doesn't come up with anything. Much. Did you look on Facebook? No, I didn't actually, know. <laughs> I'll find them for you. <laughs> now, there was an article that appeared in The Guardian here in the UK okay. in 2008 about this. Um, and it made quite clear that many in Austria were outraged by the releases. And it brought into question the leniency of the Austrian judicial system, and in particular, the minimum term served for life imprisonment. Okay. Which I think is actually 15 years in Austria, having... Right. Done a bit of finding out. And I know when life is given in this country, it's... Is it 14? They're very 14 few. We've had this discussion before <laughs> yeah. haven't we, about uh, um, whole lifers, of which yeah. there are not very many. No. It could be 14. It's usually like 24 or something like that, yeah. isn't it? And, uh, something like that. But there you go. That is actually the end of the story, really. Wow. <laughs> about that Lance... Angels of death. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Around kind of euthanasia, 
And I, I mean, there's one thing giving someone slightly too much morphine. It's another thing drowning them yeah, in their yeah, beds. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's clearly murder. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I can't believe that they got away with it, essentially, really. Like, they went to prison for a little bit of time, but... I, I don't know how they actually did it. I mean, they, they were, yeah, you said they held their heads back, pinched their noses, pushed their tongues down, just forced water down there. What would have been into their lungs, really, oh. ultimately? Um, it's kind of waterboarded just... them, isn't it? But well, except straight we... into their mouth, <laughs> like, yeah. without the kind of flannel bit. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, if they were just giving people morphine, I could kind of see how they would have got away with that. But yeah. for them to be, like, physically, like, pinning people down, because I'm sure they would have had to do that, and then, like, you know, forcing their noses shut and stuff, I can't believe that no one noticed that. And yeah. it's not like it just happened once, they were doing it for six years. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was... That guy deserved to be suspended. I think so. Sometimes it was the water cure, sometimes it was a lethal injection of something or other, yeah. Have you heard of... Dr. Kevorkian. No. And he was a guy in America. He might have been Austrian. I don't think he was born in America, but um, basically he set up this like euthanasia machine and it was called something ridiculous. Oh, like there. Yes, okay. Not that long ago, was it? No. Um, and it was like in the back of this car and people would come into the back of the car and be euthanized essentially by him. And he'd give them like a thing so they could press the pump to kill themselves and he got away with it for quite a long time until there started to be some questions around like people's state of mind that were mm-hmm. going to him um and also he had to press the button for somebody uh, he, he went to prison for a bit and then he was out and then he just did a lot of petitioning around euthanasia and why it should be allowed that's the thing isn't it the state of mind yeah absolutely and, and when whether... you're making that decision and whether people are just being got rid of yeah. for convenience. Yeah. And you you can't make that decision for somebody else, can you? You can't just say, actually, no. you know what? This person's inconveniencing me now. I'll euthanize them. It's like with Dignitas yeah. in Switzerland. I th- yeah. And people have to be very much... They have uh, to do loads of like, psychological assessments yeah. before they do it, don't they? Yeah. They have to be very aware of what they are doing. So yeah. it's probably never because of a mental problem that they'd be going down that route but more like to be a physical one yeah Uh, i think it's a really interesting debate um around euthanasia mm. and whether it should be allowed or not because i think if people have got that kind of mental capability but their bodies have just fallen to pieces and they just want to essentially save a bit of dignity yeah and not have to cope with that end stage when everything's just going to be absolutely horrific then why not but i think yep. as long as that decision's made like in the right frame of mind and they're not being pushed into doing it yep yep and they have to be clearly making the decision for themselves it cannot yep. be anybody else making that decision for them yeah there's um that film isn't there in a book is it me before you spoiler alert if no one's read it or seen it um and this girl becomes a carer for this guy in this like, little village who was in an accident I think he might have fallen out of a plane and he broke his back and he had like no quality of life and he took himself off to Dignitas at the end okay because he wanted to like do all these things to like kind of fulfill his last wishes and stuff and then he took himself off because he was like I'm never gonna get better from this yeah I can't live like this I'm done 
I remember there was a program, how many years ago was it? Was it Terry Pratchett? Mm, yeah. Yep. Who followed uh, what he did, but yeah, Sorry, he he did have, he had some sort of dementia. I think it was some sort of dementia. I think it was dementia as well. But he was still very much with it, and he made a documentary following this man as he went through the oh, okay the dignitas process. Some that freedom so, of choice, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what I was thinking about the other day that um, mummifying Alan documentary. Oh yeah, I might try and watch, like find that and watch it again because that was great. <laughs> yes, poor Alan. Poor did Alan. he mummif- Did he mummify in the end? I can't remember. I can't remember. I'd, well, they'll never really know, will they? Because don't they need to leave him for like two thousand years and find out whether he's mummified or not? Uh, it doesn't say that long to mummify. Oh, okay. Didn't I know they soaked him in that salt bath. Yeah, thing. I was going to say it's all in salts and stuff, yeah. isn't it? A bit like what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with the Russian dolls. Mm. He discovered, yeah. he found out a way of being able to mummify mm. people quite quite quickly, didn't he? Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. yeah. I guess it's all about drawing Drying the moisture out. Yeah, Because they said, didn't they, that um, there was this particular dynasty of pharaohs that were really, really well preserved and they couldn't work out why. And they realised it's because of where the pyramids were. They were like on this floodplain okay. from... Is the Nile salt water? The Nile Delta might be. It was on some sort of plane of some sort of salt water. They realised, yeah, and they realised that it kept these pyramids kept flooding okay. and draining, and they realised that it was this flooding that was helping to preserve the, the bodies because the, the, the salt that was left behind or whatever. Yeah. And, uh... that was like ten years ago. That program was on. Really? Yeah. Flying Allen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So. I did think about something that I read this week. Um, I read this article earlier in the week about this new campaign, mostly around domestic violence and the sentencing of men who kill women, generally in a domestic setting. Um, And the the example that was given was this guy at the beginning of lockdown who snapped. He was struggling with lockdown. His wife said, oh, get over it. He snapped and killed her. And he's been sentenced to five years in prison, I think. And they reckon he'll be out in one because they said it was like manslaughter because it was diminished responsibility. Right. And this idea that basically men who kill in those sort of settings don't really get sentenced as much as they should be. So it's this campaign to increase it. Um, But there was this statistic that blew my mind that um, a woman gets killed in Britain every three days. Mm. Like, that's ridiculous. By partner. By partners or just by anybody. Um, women get killed in England every three days. Our woman gets killed in England every three days. It was a ridiculous number since the last census that had been murdered and the year averages out at um, one, every one three days. woman every three days. A sobering statistic. Yeah. All right, well, on that thought. On that thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. That was great. Um and I really enjoyed that. I hope that you listening at home enjoyed it too. We'll catch you next week. And yeah. in the meantime, if you want to, you can find us on Instagram at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And on Facebook, Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can email us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. Join us next time when once again, Dad and Daughter Do Death. Thank you.